This morning I stand before you as a man who has needed great mercy in his own life. And I'd like to share with you today God's mercy. I was about five years old going to a Southern Baptist church sitting in a hard wooden pew about the third row back over here. And the pastor was preaching on the crucifixion of Christ. And I was so enthralled with his message and his delivery. And I stood up in that pew when I was five and I said, I want to do what he's doing. I want to preach. I want to tell people about this Christ. The one who gave his life was crucified for me, who paid for my sins. As time went on, about the age of nine, um, we stopped attending church as a family. My father became an alcoholic. They divorced, moved to a podunk city called Riverdale. Then we moved to an obscure city called Lemoore. My brothers were sent one by one to live with my dad because they were becoming so belligerent. And so disrespectful, figured my dad could take care of that. Well, as I was playing in the yard one, one Sunday morning, I didn't know at that time, but my whole world was crashing down on me. I was losing everything in my life. And as I looked around, I saw this old man driving a Partridge family bus. This Partridge family bus came rolling down the street right in front of me, and I can see a young gal in there singing songs with the kids, and the windows are open. I can see the kids having such a great time singing with this woman as they rode by. Let me tell you, at the crack of dawn, the next Sunday morning, I got up, and I went out in the middle of that street, and I stopped that bus. I probably waited about three hours, but I stopped that bus and waved them down, and I said, what are you doing he looked at me, he said, son, we're going to church. Would you like to go? Let me tell you, I am so eternally grateful for that man and that woman. I will be grateful for the rest of my life because I'm sure that man spent more time repairing that bus than he did his own car. That thing was breaking down all the time. I'm sure he had his uh, teenage children at home. I'm sure he had... Laundry baskets full of laundry sitting in his room waiting to be folded, but he took time out of his busy schedule. He took time to make sure that bus was maintained and repaired. He made time that Sunday morning to get up, to take this young lady with him, to go around the neighborhoods and pick up little children. It has made all the difference in my life. And the message I received of Christ's grace and mercy and love for me has changed my destiny and eternity. Today, I'd like to um, read the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We're going to take a look at the, in a little bit of detail, the different players in the Good Samaritan. I think we need to develop them a little bit to understand the flow of, this, of the parable. We want to discover God's heart in this parable also. We want to see if we can look at it and discover that we want to take a look at a, a little boy named Jimmy for a minute, and then we want to see what we can walk away with from here, how we can apply this to our lives. Let me give you a little bit of background. Before this parable was being told in Jerusalem a few days earlier, just a few days earlier, Jesus and his disciples were going through Samaria, 
And Jesus was trying to make plans to stop and visit in Samaria. But the Samaritans told the disciples, we don't want Jesus here. Just keep going through and don't stop. So they went through and they visited other cities on the way. But it's amazing that here, with that reaction of the Samaritans, Jesus tells a story of a Samaritan. Let's read. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who showed mercy to him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You ever run into somebody who is an expert? It's great to have an expert mechanic working on your car, isn't it? An expert electrician, expert carpenter to do work around your house. No, no fires will spark from the electrical work that they've done. They're experts. They know their business. They know their job. There's, there's no teaching them anything anymore because they know it. It can be a hard conversation sometimes with them because they know it. Here is a scribe, an expert in the law. He knows where every punctuation mark is. He knows how to cross every I and dot every T. He knows the law inside and out, and there's no way that he doesn't know what his job is and what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. But he comes up with a very simple question. He asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Actually, it's a pretty simple question. He's asking a teacher who is going to tell him how to get to heaven. He's asking another expert. But what his plan is is to trap him, to test him, to see if he'll say something derogatory, profane against the law of Moses. Maybe he'll say one word, something that he can nail him with and prove that he's an illegitimate savior. 
There's something inherently wrong with the word, what do I do to inherit eternal life? See, an inheritance comes down from your forefathers. It's a gift. I'll tell you what, when you receive an inheritance, you can say, I probably didn't do much to earn this. I was given it by birthright. I was given it because it was passed down from my fathers, my mom, to me. That's how I achieved my inheritance. He is asking this because he's expecting to inherit eternal life. You see, he can trace his bloodline all the way back to Abraham. The law of Moses was given to his people. The temple worship was given to him. His people know where salvation lies. It lies within their Savior, Yahweh. It lies within the hands and the words of Jehovah. So expecting a simple answer from Jesus, Jesus heard the question, perceived his thoughts, perceived what was in the depths of his heart. You know that Jesus sees your heart. He perceives your thoughts and knows what's in the depths of your heart. Right now, Jesus is going to take and fillet the lawyer's heart and lay it open bare for him to see everything that's in it. And everyone else around him will see what's in their hearts also. So Jesus just turns the question back on him. What does the law say? How do you perceive it? What do you think it says? How would you interpret it? The scribe, the lawyer says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. To love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer knows he grew up learning this. He was taught it. He's an expert in it. And he knows he's fulfilling this part of the law. Jesus answered him and said, you get an A in theology. You got it exactly right. That's the correct answer. Go and do this. Was Jesus saying that if you fulfill just these two simple laws that you'll receive eternal life? I'm so glad the lawyer didn't list all 638 laws. We would have been reading for about five more chapters before we got to the finishing of the Good Samaritan parable. He just hung everything, all of them, on these two things. And, of course, the lawyer knew that he was fulfilling this. Jesus said, hey, fulfill that. Love God with all of your heart, all of your mind, your thoughts, all of your strength. Love God with all of your soul, and you will fulfill this law. So the lawyer, knowing that he's doing this, wants to justify himself, wants to prove to Jesus and all those around him that he has it down. So he knows it's pretty simple. It's a simple question. He knows he wants to narrow it down maybe, maybe make it a little bit more simple. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? It's a pretty simple question. From a a first century ethnic Jew, his perspective as a lawyer was probably, my neighbor isn't necessarily the person living next to me. My neighbor is another ethnic Jew just like me, one that's perfectly upholding the law, and he's the only one I'm required to love. That's my neighbor. Oh, but Jesus turns it all the way upside down, doesn't he? 
Jesus takes this parable of the Good Samaritan to show the standard of compassion, to show the standard of mercy, to show the standard of love. As we take a look at the different um, characters in the, in the parable, I want to give you just a little bit of background of Samaria, some historical background. Um, this, the Assyrians came in and, and, and captured northern tribes of Israel. Samaria was a town that they really liked, and so they decided that most of their people would plant there. As they lived there, they intermarried with the Jewish people there. But what they did also is they brought their idols from Assyria, and they had idol worship there, and it became so profane and so bad, the Old Testament says that God sent lions into Samaria to kill them. As they were in desperate need, they cried out to their king, and the king sent a priest over there to teach them the God of the land. So as the priest taught them the ways of Yahweh, they learned about God. They learned about the law, but they also combined their own faith and religion with the faith of the Jews. It's called syncretism. They syncretized their own beliefs, their idols, and their worship with God, but they continued in a profane way. They did not truly worship God. A Jewish boy would grow up during that time using the word Samaritan as a derogatory slur. If he called you a Samaritan while you were talking, it would mean that you're a godless heathen that has no conception of who God is. You're the one who pollutes and destroys the law of Moses. You're the one that twists everything around. You're worse than a dog to me. You're a Samaritan. When Pharisees came to Jesus to try to accuse him, to try to trap him, they called him a Samaritan. They were insulting him with the term. A Samaritan child would grow up passionately hating the Jews. They may have never seen a Jew in their life. They may have never been ill-treated in their life, but they were taught all the heritage and the history of these two nations, of these two people, and they would passionately, automatically hate a Jewish man when they saw him. So here the story starts with a priest a well-liked, a loved man of the Jewish society, a man of elite status. By this time, the first century um, priest had achieved such status and prestige that he was wealthy. He was a man of means. As he was heading down the Jericho Road to Jericho, he was probably riding on a, uh, a beast, an animal, donkey or a horse. So he had the ability and the luxury of the travel. He would probably be very well equipped. He would have oil. He would have wine. He, may, he would have his own clothes to use as bandages so that when he saw this, the man who was slain in the street, most likely a fellow Jew from the understanding of the text and the reactions of the people, here's a Jew in need and he has the means to help him and doesn't supply the means but goes on the other side and leaves. The Levite would be an assistant to the priest in helping out with the temple sacrifices. One of the other jobs that he would have besides that would be give, giving and feeding and helping the needy and the poor. So it's against even his own faith, against his own training, against his own teaching 
to ignore this man who has been beat up and left half dead in the street. What's amazing is this man left half dead unconscious. There is no way to tell his dialect. Was he, a, a, was he um, born in Galilee? Was he born in the southern tribes? Was he born in the northern tribes? Did his language prove that he was educated? He didn't have his clothes on. Here the priest with all his flak trees, all of his wealthy robes, his, his pageantry, you would know that he was a priest and that he was wealthy by looking at his clothes. This man laying half dead had no issue of clothes on him. You couldn't tell if he was a poor man. You couldn't tell if he was a wealthy man. He was probably beat up so bad, you couldn't tell if he was another priest from the temple. You couldn't tell if he deserved pity, if he deserved compassion, if he deserved the help that anybody, any other man would give him at that time. The thing is, is that it's so easy to get mad at this priest. You're a priest of God? You teach his word, his laws? You help out with the temple sacrifices? You know God personally? Why wouldn't you stop? But just put yourself in his shoes for just a moment and imagine you're walking through Oakland, San Francisco, Brooklyn, and you decide to take an alleyway. And on your way down the alleyway, you see a man naked, beaten, unconscious, bleeding. Your self-preservation would say in today's society, don't stop because the gang who beat him up is probably waiting for me to help him. And as soon as I help him, they're going to be on me also. We have the privilege of running with cell phones. Don't we? Wisdom would say, I'm running, and I'll dial 911. This priest was the help. This Levite was the one to rescue. They didn't have the, the, the privilege of using a cell phone to call for help or to have rescue. If they left them there and no one else came along, the man would expect, be expected to die. Now, Jesus is telling the story. And there's a priest and there's a Levite. There's got to be a hero somewhere. Surely it's going to be maybe a Pharisee. Maybe it's going to be a lawyer like him. It's got to be a lawyer like him, right? Jesus talking to a lawyer. They're waiting for a hero like Esther who saved her people from a holocaust. They're waiting for a hero like Moses who delivered their people from slavery. He's waiting. They're waiting. They're listening to the story with intent to understand who this hero is going to be. And Jesus introduces a Samaritan. So their automatic thoughts go to a Samaritan. That's good. That's really good. That Samaritan's going to come in and finish him. He hates Jews, right? Jews hate him. He's been abused, neglected, mercilessly treated all of his life and his family. Of course it's a Samaritan. That's what Samaritans do. He'll finish the job. He'll kill him, right? There's no way that they would expect the most hated person, the most despised person, the one that they would thought of as less than a dog, a Samaritan, to show compassion on a Jew. 
with today's mores, we would expect that he had every right to finish him. We probably wouldn't even bat an eye. The poor Jewish man deserved it. Look at the history. Look at how they've treated each other. But instead, he looks on him, has pity. He has compassion. He shows mercy. Do you know love is an action? Love is a person, purpose. It's a commitment. It's a commitment to another person. It's a commitment to be there. It's a commitment to go against all my feelings and emotions and do the right things. Here, the Samaritan, the least likely hero, has compassion and pity on this poor Jewish man. The amazing thing is, is that he took time out of his schedule. Probably a merchant, right? Probably had deadlines, deliveries, make more money. He took time out of his schedule. He took his own clothes, most likely, and tore them up and made bandages for the man. He took his own expensive wine and oil and poured over it the wounds and treated the man. And then he humbled himself and walked. He put the man on his own mule and took him to safety and took him to an end and stayed with him overnight. He spent the night with him probably changing the wounds and the bandages and cleaning them up again through the night. And in the morning, the next day, he left enough money to take care of the payment for the room and for means of feeding him and caring for him for a minimum of a week and pledged a promise that he would return and take care of all the other expenses that that innkeeper would deem necessary for taking care of that man. Innkeepers at that time were not known to be kind people. They were known to be more of a thief, of a cutthroat. And sure, he's saying, I'll pledge whatever you say, whatever the cost and expense is. Just please take care of this man, and I'll pay the bill. As I've read through this story and read commentaries on it, Jesus is describing the law of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. He is showing it in such a way that it is an impo- it's an impossibility for me to live up to it. He set the bar so high that I felt crushed under the expectations of loving someone else like this. I'll tell you what, I have a hard time loving my own mom sometimes. I have a hard time loving the love of my life, my wife, my own children I have a hard time loving. But God wants me to love people in this manner. My thoughts need to love God 24-7. My heart needs to be full of loving God. My strength needs to be spent on loving God. My soul needs to be cleansed and loving God perfectly. I need to love my neighbor like this. I have a hard time when I drive up, especially right there at um, Home Depot in Vallejo, and you're coming out to 37. There's always someone standing there with a sign. I dread the day when my children say, Daddy, how come you didn't help that man? Jesus is saying, do this and you will live perfectly love people all of the time. In one week, 
I've probably seen six to eight different people needing money, needing a handout, needing this kind of stuff. And I look at it and I say, I have to love them completely? I don't have the strength. I don't have the means. I feel crushed under the weight of this expectation. Jesus set the bar so high. It's like putting a high jump up here. Let me tell you, I'm the kind of guy, when I see a challenge, I'll take it. But I'll analyze it to death. I'll look at it. I'll know how to conquer it. But I'll also tell you, I quit. It's too big of a job for me. I can't do it. You put a high jump up here at 10 feet and ask me to jump over it, I'll, I'll, I'll consider it. I'll look at it. And I'll tell you, there's no way. It's an impossibility to be done. Jesus has set the bar so high, it's an impossibility to fulfill it. We need help. We need somebody that will come along and say, I can jump 10 feet, I'll do it for you, and I'll write your name on the record. We need somebody that will say, I can love people perfectly. I will love you perfectly. I will show you what that perfect love is. I will fulfill these two laws in loving the Father with all of my strength, all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, all of the time. And I will love you and your neighbors as I love myself. Wow. Wow. I want to reveal some of the... The, I want to reveal the identity of the characters here and see if we can um, see God's heart a little better. The cruel thieves in this story that beat up and wound this man is sin. The man who was wounded and left half dead is me. That wounded massacrated, half-dead, unconscious man in this story is you. You have been beat up, and sin has tried to destroy your life and leave you unconscious and leave you in such a desperate way that you'll die without knowing who a Savior really is. See, if that man would have died before the Good Samaritan arrived, he would have never met the Good Samaritan. Sin wants to destroy your life. Sin has been plaguing mankind from the beginning. Diseases, wars, hatred. It's been destructive. It's deceptive. But the whole purpose of it is to destroy you before you meet the Good Samaritan. The priest and the Levite is the cold, passionless law. The law is good, but it is imperfect because we have to uphold it. The weakness of the law is me, is the flesh. The weakness of the law is my own sin. It cannot be upheld. It cannot be accomplished. It cannot be fulfilled because I am the weak point, and I cannot do it. The Pharisee and the Levite, the law, can pass right by us and we get no help from it because we can't be perfect enough. We can't deserve everything that the law has to offer, complete salvation. 
Jesus is saying, yes, if you can uphold the law fully and completely, you can earn your salvation. But because of sin, there is no way for us to earn salvation. We need somebody to earn it for us. We are in desperate need for someone to show us mercy. We are in desperate need to be healed. We're in desperate need to be loved. We're in desperate need to be rescued from the destructive power of sin. We need a man who is perfect, who is sinless. We need someone who can uphold the law, fulfill the law, be perfect in the law. We need someone to say, I'll be the one that will pay the penalty for your sins. I will be the missing piece of the law to be perfect before God my Father. And when I die for your sins, I will rise again and provide and prepare a place for you to come. And when you come there, I will give you, I will take away your portfolio of rubbish of selfish, filthy rags, and I will give you my portfolio so that when you stand before God the Father and you open it up and he sees who you are, he will see everything perfectly fulfilled in your life because you will have Jesus Christ's portfolio. You will have his identity. You will be clothed in his robes of righteousness before God. And God will look at you and look at your portfolio, and he will say, I love you. You are my child. This portfolio shows it all. If that's not enough, Jesus will step up and say, Dad, see the scars in my hands. See the blood that was shed. I fulfilled the law for this child standing before you today. The heart of God is mercy, compassion, and love. And we are called to show God's love to the world. You know, Ephesians 2.10, I love it. It says we are God's masterpiece, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared for you before the foundations of the earth to do. He's prepared good Samaritan works for your life. He's prepared those things for you to do, to be an ambassador of Christ to a dying world. He's prepared these things for you to do. But I'll tell you what, even at that, I feel like I can't do it. I feel like I can't carry it forward. I feel like I've spent everything I got. I don't have enough to give. My, taking the kids to football practice, to baseball practice, coming here to a prayer meeting, teaching a, teaching a class, going for door hangers, doing this, meeting with my wife, my, my mother-in-law, father-in-law, feeding me. <laughs> All of these things, so much of life takes up so much time, I don't feel like I'm sharing enough of the gospel. I don't feel like I'm being a good ambassador of Christ to a dying world. I don't feel like I'm fulfilling the, the plans that Jesus has for good works in my life. I'm so glad that Peter wrote 2 Peter. We can find a little bit of relief under the weight of these expectations. 2 Peter tells us 
add to your faith goodness. Add to your goodness knowledge. Add to your knowledge self-control. Add to self-control perseverance. Add to perseverance godliness. Add to godliness mutual affection. And add to mutual affection love. But look at this. This is the key. This is what gets you out, right? This is, this is the escape. Possess these qualities in increasing measure. God isn't giving you impossible works for you to accomplish in your life. He's not giving you impossible things to, to fulfill. He's not, giving you a, he's not asking you to love everybody so perfectly. He's asking you to grow in Christ. He's asking you to possess these things in increasing measure. And as you possess these things in increasing measure, you will become more Christ-like. But you know what also God's promised? He's promised the Holy Spirit in your life. He's promised to have refreshing, clean waters of life flowing from you because of the Holy Spirit. And when you're down, when you don't have enough strength, when you can't carry on, he's promised to lift you up on wings of eagles. Lifting you up on that wings of eagles is not our own wings. That's the wings of Christ to sustain you. The thing is, to do the works of a good Samaritan may mean your car is a little messy sometimes. May mean there's a couple of um, laundry baskets that don't get folded up before the end of the week. It's going to cost something from our own lives. But it's not something that's impossible to do. I'd like to tell you, um, share a story about Jimmy. Jimmy was... um, born to a mom who got pregnant her senior year of high school. And her parents took her to a woman's shelter. Jimmy was born in a woman's shelter. Dad, nowhere to be found. Dad left the scene and gone. When he was born in a woman's shelter, a friend of the family stepped up and asked to adopt him. You see, he says, by that I learned the love of a mom who has to give up a child. She loved me enough to know that her circumstances could not provide for me. So if you were the child being born to a single-parent mom in a, in a woman's homeless shelter in the heart of Oakland, how much chances do you think you have for success in life? That's where Jimmy was. This man stepped forward and his wife and adopted Jimmy. His mom took him to a Bible-teaching Presbyterian church where he got involved with Children's Church. He got involved with the, youth, with the youth. It's amazing. He's a mean handbell player. <laughs> uh, he joined the, the choral team. But he, Jim's a different kind of guy. He's also a, a, a top-notch Boy Scout getting the highest of honors in, in the Boy Scout troops. Troop 7 right here in Berkeley. Jim, he grew up and married a, a classy gal, Debbie two children, Shannon and Mark, who are in a home, a loving home. But it started back here when a woman had to give up a child. Do you think Christ was involved in moving the heart of that family, the McMillans, to adopt him? Do you think God was moving in the heart of the mom to take him to church? Do you think God was moving in Jimmy's heart to accept Jesus as his Savior? Oh, and God's blessed him with this, with this beautiful wife, amazing, b- beautiful children. 
the blessings that have come because somebody decided to get their hands a little bit dirty. What's amazing, I saw the, the guy who does the potter's wheel and tells the story of, of God's love. When you watch the guy with the potter's wheel and the clay is coming up, I mean, I did pottery in, in college, you know, I did little pots and all that kind of stuff. But this guy was making these amazingly beautiful pots, ceramic pots from clay. When he stuck his hands down inside, he got all dirty. His clothes got dirty. He had dirt and smudges on his face and in his hair. What's, what, what's really cool, his wife was probably livid with him because she was wearing a pure white dress about 10 feet from him, and some of the mud slung over onto her dress. When God gets involved with our lives, he got involved and decided to get dirty and get messy. This good Samaritan probably got this man's blood on him. It cost this good Samaritan something to minister to him. It cost Jesus his life to love you, to show you his love. It cost a little bit to show people the love of God in our lives. We got to be willing to pay that cost. But Jesus said he'll supply our every need. He'll supply everything that we need in this life. But we have to be willing to let the things that are given to us flow out to somebody else. What's that? Somebody used the example that if I'm holding on to something, if I'm holding on to a gift, I can't get anything else in that hand. But if I open up and I give something away, there's more room in that hand for me to receive more. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan. And his yoke is light and his burden is light. He is not putting such a high expectation on your life to fulfill the law, unless that's what you want to do. But you will be crushed under the weight of those expectations. Christ has fulfilled that in you by you putting your faith in him. The expectation now is for you to love God, to move forward, and accomplish the good works that he's put into your life. He's not expecting you to meet every need of every person along the way. When you are moved, move. When God has something put before you, answer the call. I'm sure that Samaritan had pity on that man. But if he would have took a moment to think about it, he might not have done anything. But he had pity and compassion and showed him love like no other man at that moment showed him and rescued him. There's a reason why um, I started the barbecue that we do. Because I'm sitting there waiting for a little Jimmy to walk through those gates. I'm waiting for a little Jimmy so I can tell him, Jesus loves you. And he'll make all the difference in your life. Let me tell you about a Savior's love. You know why, Jimmy? Because when I was nine years old, the man on that bus picked me up. And you know, when I get to heaven and I'm giving testimonies, I'm going to be there with a hundred other little kids that say that old man picked me up on that bus too. And it's made all the difference in my life. The small sacrifices that he made was well worth it for him because he was rescuing children on the road. He was rescuing children on the highways and the byways. 
and he's receiving his joy now, and he's receiving his eternal rewards in heaven for the love that he showed in the name of Jesus Christ. You know who I'm also looking for? Coming through those gates at the barbecue? I'm looking for a Mark and a Shannon, Jimmy's little kids, who are perishing and going to hell without Christ if we don't step in the path and be the good Samaritan that tells them about Jesus. You know those mugs that we do? We've, had, we've delivered mugs to people who have moved here from foreign countries, from other states, from other cities. What I'm hoping is that one Sunday morning, Papa's going to be sitting at the table saying, man, I wish we had a church to belong to, and he starts sipping his Valley Bible mug coffee. And his wife says, hey, what about that church? They were pretty kind to us. A small gift, a little bit of time. I'm also hoping that somebody comes there, maybe from Quebec, maybe from Brazil, maybe from Zimbabwe. Maybe he comes and picks up that mug and starts sipping and say, you know, that person was pretty kind. Maybe we should try out this church. It's not my faith or my religion, but they were kind to me, giving me this small gift, taking their valuable time to come see me. I'm hoping that we get in the paths of the people out there. The citizenship classes, we've had, I think, seven, 15 or 17 different nations have attended our citizenship classes. I'm hoping that they came from a godless pagan area, came here, sees, hears, and finds Jesus Christ, and goes back with his family to tell other people about the good news of the salvation of Jesus Christ. None of this has been happening. None of it works without you guys being the Good Samaritan. Without you guys doing these small things that are put in your path. You guys answering that call. When those calls come, when those Bible studies come, when that children's church um, calls for vacation Bible school helpers, you are fulfilling the good works that God has prepared for you to do. You're acting as a Good Samaritan. You're acting as Christ. I know that when we have the youth group events, when we have the barbecue, when we're doing different st stuff like that, Gabe is looking for the thug off the streets like he was so he can say, drugs ain't doing it, man. This life will destroy you, but there's a God who loves you and a God who sent his son to die for your sins and one who will stick with you closer than a brother. I know Pastor Paul is looking for that dyslexic karate kid. Is that an oxymoron? He's looking for that kid whose, whose dad died young, whose mom is raising him, who, doesn't ha who has meager means. He's looking for that child to walk through the door. I know Pastor Hurtado is looking for that young man. His dad died young. He's left with just his mom and his brother, but he's needing the love of Christ in his life. Keep your eyes open. The things that you do the things that you do for the love of Christ, the things that you are because of Christ's love will have impacts for eternity in people's lives because you've chosen to show mercy and compassion and the love of Christ. I, I kind of believe, just side note, that the story doesn't have an end. It doesn't say what happens to the lawyer. It doesn't say what happens to the man that, that was beaten. Because you're the end of the story. 
You're the man that was rescued from sin. You're the man that's being healed by God's love. You're the one that's finishing the story of Jesus Christ, the good Samaritan in your life. Let's pray. While we pray, ask God if you're the lawyer with a hard heart. And he'll take it away and give you a heart of flesh. Ask him if you're the man that was beaten up. If he would rescue you and save you and bind your wounds and heal you. Ask him if he's at, give him the job of being a good Samaritan somewhere, somehow in someone's life. Giving some time, giving of your resources, giving of your talent. And talk to him right now. Holy Father, we're amazed by your love. We thank you that Jesus was a good Samaritan who came to this world to get dirty, to put up and fight sin, to rescue those who hated him, to love those who he had pity and compassion on. I pray, Father, that if we have a heart of stone, that you'll take it away and give us a heart of flesh. Give us the eyes of the Father for those who are around us so we can see each man, each woman, each child, each tribe, each ethnicity, the way that God sees them, that we might have compassion on them, that we might be ambassadors of Christ, sharing the salvation message. There's none other that have a message like we do. Give us courage. Give us strength. Oh, give us your love within our hearts and souls that we might carry out what you've called us to do. You're worthy of the praise. You're worthy of the honor. You're worthy of our strength, our heart, our minds, and our soul because you loved us. We ask these things in Jesus' name.